Tina, it's Janelle. Are you up? Tina. Today we're discussing tabletop RPGs, or pencil and paper gaming. Basically D&D, or GURPS, or Bessem, or... You probably even Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> People don't know what D&D means. <laughs> we're we're going to get pretty basic yeah, here. Yeah, uh, Leanne and I have been gaming for a very long time, so we kind of forget. <laughs> we'll explain it. It's okay. I don't know yeah. what GURPS is, actually. What's GURPS? Here, let's do the we'll intro. That, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that after we introduce ourselves. Uh, so today we have pretty much the regular Sparkler editorial staff here with us. I'm Rebecca Scoble, the audio editor. I'm Lillian Centaur, I'm the prose editor. I'm Lillian Diaz-Prisbel, I'm the comics editor. And the audio clip you just heard was from one of our audio dramas, Awake. We'll have a longer scene at the end that you can listen to, and you can check out the whole thing on our website. Yeah, that one finished a little while ago. Yeah, so that one's complete. It's 11 volumes, and it will probably make you cry and throw things from Yay! what I hear. Yeah, that ending. The goal of all Sparkler series to make you cry and throw things. Oh yeah, every time someone's like, "Why did you do this to me?" I sit at home and I laugh, like like really maniacally, (laughs) like stroking my cat and like. (laughs) To be fair, on any given day, usually laughing maniacally and stroking a cat. Well, when it's deadline time, I'm crying maniacally and stroking (laughs) a cat. cat. (laughs) Or like you know, sort of rubbing your face on the cat and sort of (laughs) to to calm yourself down. So, Sparkler is a lifestyle. Yeah, it really is. Uh, <laughs> a really unhealthy lifestyle. Yep. <laughs> that was our, one of our first ones. We were like, how do you consume caffeine? And we're like, kids, don't do the things that we do. <laughs> Anyways, uh, on to gaming. We're going to start with some basic definitions, because we know that um, this is a realm of nerdity that doesn't overlap uh, that much with manga and anime as much as something like video games would. Uh, especially when it comes to, like, female geeks. I think, um, like, women have been gaming, obviously, for a long time on tabletop and pencil and paper RPGs, but I don't think it's it has, doesn't have quite the same history as something like, you know, manga. Dungeons & Dragons was the first one, and that was in the 70s. It's considered sort of like the grandfather of, I think, all RPGs, including, like, video games and stuff. Um, yeah. Obviously, well, that yeah, means role-playing game. A lot of those old role-playing games, Final Fantasy 1, yeah. the really old stuff, the, the number systems that they work off of and the way that they calculate damage and calculate, like, you know, all that kind of thing were based really heavily on these uh, these uh, tabletop RPGs. These are old. Dungeons & Dragons is real old. If anyone is, watches the show Community, there's an episode in, I think, either Season 2 or 3 where they play Dungeons & Dragons. The guy who created Community, Dan Harmon, had this really amazing skit a long time ago about what Dungeons & Dragons is <laughs> during the Your Children Are Satanist scare. Which Where's was like, the Mountain Dew? Yeah. If you, if you know what that is from... You know. <laughs> I don't think the average sparkler okay. is going to know where that quote is from. I'm sorry, guys. It's like, this has been like something that we've been laughing about for like more than a decade. Yeah. Like close to two decades now. But yeah, if you have never heard of, uh, if you've never played Dungeons & Dragons, you probably don't know about this famous Dan Harmon Dungeons & Dragons skit. I attack the darkness. Like, I'm yeah. just going to quote it now because okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> We can cut that shit out. I'm sorry. (laughs) Basically, there was a little bit of a scare in like the 80s, 90s that um, Dungeons and Dragons was like a satanic ritual because all these kids would go into a basement for hours and hours and hours and leave talking about their alter egos and how they were a warlock. (laughs) So there was... It it was... Well, you know... Yeah, I was going to be like, I think it was like the magic and spell casting <laughs> yeah, that, that probably released that people off. Yeah, that was kind of like, like, I actually... Yeah. Not that it was 
dumb. Oh yeah, but... yeah. No, it was very dumb because seriously. But there, I actually read an article about it, and it was one of these situations where there was like a really highly publicized suicide of this kid, and he he'd been playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they were looking for a scapegoat, so they were like, it must have been this game. And then it was there were a lot of like satanic panic panics going on at the same time, so they were looking for scapegoats for that sort of thing. Anyway, and I'm yeah. I'm doing like the real gloss over version of this, but if you look it up, it's actually really fascinating and oh it is and, you know it was it was so publicized like actually the very very first time i played dungeons and dragons which was just with like a pickup group of some friends my mom was driving me over because i was like 12 or 13 and she was like this isn't this isn't like a satanic thing is it <laughs> and i'm like no mom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was it was you know it was that public. People who didn't know anything about nerd shit just knew that Dungeons and Dragons and Satan worship were somehow connected. Yeah. And there, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Chick Tracks. They're these, like, small oh, comics God. done by this fundamental Christian. He did one about Dungeons yeah. and Dragons leading your children to hell. There so. was a movie about it. Wasn't it like like a young Tom Hanks or something? Like what? <laughs> yeah, there was there was a movie called like Dark Dungeons or something that was oh my like a thinly like this was a big thing. <laughs> I don't know if it was Tom Hanks. It was some like A list actor before they got famous. Oh wow! Was like in this movie about how Dungeons and Dragons are satanic. Yeah. Wow. Anyway, so uh, that might be a little bit before your time, but that was kind of the rap that Dungeons and Dragons had for about a decade at least. <laughs> Um, so if you guys watch Community, uh, after Dan Harmon did this famous Dungeons and Dragons skit, which was about, like, your children in the basement, look at what they're doing, and it had, like, you know, It was basically three nerds being, like, the biggest possible nerds. Yeah, pretending to be elves and casting spells, like, you know, lightning bolt on each other, and being like, roll the dice to see how drunk I am, and it was, like, really funny. And then, this was so popular that when he did Community... He did an entire episode where all the characters are playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I was actually, I have a much younger sister who's like 21. She's a normal. She's into things like celebrity news. Uh, so I use her as a gauge for like normal people. <laughs> we were watching that episode the other day and she turned to me and she goes, is that seriously what Dungeons and Dragons is? I was like, I'm really sorry that I've been spending the last 15 years of my life doing that. Only maybe nerdier, yes. Yeah, no, it, that, that episode is actually like a surprisingly accurate rundown of what happens when you get kind of a mixed group of friends together and like we're gonna play this game and it's like they get hung up on a bunch of weird stuff and yeah. they yeah like like so if you've never gamed before and you can get that episode from somewhere it's somewhat yeah. accurate yeah no <laughs> it is it, it's a great episode I, I don't remember the I think it's called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons like mm -hmm. is the name of the episode but you know it's community it's one of season two or three so um the rundown of what it is is make a character uh based on kind of whatever you want you have a certain uh, number of points that you begin with, and then you have these cost lists, which are like, well, if you want to have your body be, like, stronger than the average person, you can put this many points into making you stronger. If you want to be smarter than the average person, this many points will make you smarter. You can, quote-unquote, buy skills, which is, like, certain things that your character would be able to do. Like, if you want your character to have the skill basket weaving, that's going to take a couple <laughs> points. Usually you buy things like sword play, but I buy things like basket weaving. Um, I bought midwifery for my latest character. Oh, there you go. Oh, nice. That's actually really useful. I haven't had a chance to use that yet, <laughs> Well, though. yeah, but you need some pregnant women, so, yeah, you know. Kind of, yeah, we'll we'll get there. Yeah, there there are so. very specific circumstances where they will be very happy to have you around. Yeah, exactly. So, um, when you you kind of design this character, and then a bunch of your friends design characters as well, and then you have one person who's called the 
the GM or DM, which is Game Master or Dungeon Master. It used to be Dungeon Master when it was just a D&D term. Game Master is a more general term because there are a lot of different systems other than Dungeons and Dragons that you can use. This is the person who designs the story around you. They make NPCs, which are non-playable characters, so it's like fake people whom the characters will interact with. They design kind of like, this is the town that you start in, uh, this is an adventure, and they basically open the story for you and then... The the different people, we call them PCs or playable characters, they all live in this world. And it's basically collective storytelling where, you know, if your game master is saying, oh, you walk into a village, you see these things, you know, these people are walking around and there's a job board and the job board says, you know, help children are going missing at this mountain, certain number of gold to save the kids then assumably one of your characters is going to be like, I'm going to go meet up with that guy because I want to go on that mission, or... But then they also have the option to say, I'm going to the tavern and I'm going to get really drunk and I'm going to steal all of that other guy's things. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> Because it's collective storytelling, it's really only as good as the people you play with. You need to have a good <laughs> game master and you have to have friends who are not complete dicks when you play... <laughs> <laughs> we played some games with some people who were uh, yeah interesting. <laughs> yeah, because exactly. Somebody could say, I go to the nearest uh, child and I murder them. And it's like, okay, yeah. the child is murdered. Now the police come and it's like, I'm going to cast Fireball and destroy this village. And it's like, well, that was your quest. And it's like, let's go to the next village. And before anybody can go find out what the next quest is, they blow that one up. Like, there are people who do that. <laughs> they get stuck on really weird things. They, tr you know, you're, you're make, you're crafting a very elaborate plan, and then they're just like, they and then it. I start stabbing everyone. And, I mean, we've had a number of people who, when you first start gaming for the very first time, people like to kind of test the boundaries of the system. Yeah. The number of people we know whose very first action has been to, like, climb up on the roof of a building and drop a brick on a random passerby and kill them. And then, like, yeah. <laughs> loot the body just because they want to see if they can. And the answer is yes, you can. It's a combination of people testing the limits and... I'm not going to go too much into this, but there's a very interesting psychoanalysis that goes in when you play with people. Because <laughs> when they basically are given, like, hey, you can make any character and do anything you want in this world. The kind of person that they create and the things they do in the world sometimes tells you things about this person that maybe you weren't aware of. <laughs> um, and not necessarily because, like, oh, I couldn't, like, you know, obviously something you would do in Dungeons & Dragons you would probably not do in real life, but also the things they gravitate towards, especially if you start seeing trends, like, you play multiple games and they keep playing the same kind of character doing the same kind of things, and you're like, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so this should be a group of people you either know very well or are comfortable getting to know very well, because... It can get a little uh, personal, which is why it's fun. <laughs> so we'll go into a couple of the systems real quick. Dungeons and Dragons is the main one. Uh, GURPS, which we're probably going to mention a lot, it stands for... It's a gener generic universal role-playing system. Yeah. Okay. That's one that uh, Lan and I have actually mostly been... We've played it a lot in the last, like, decade. Yeah. Another one is Besom, which is one that... <laughs> it stands for Big Eyes, Small Mouth, which is the anime-based one on the Tri-Stat <laughs> system. Oh, yeah, and they released these fan books of a lot of, uh, you know, different anime, like Sailor Moon had one, was one of the bigger ones. And in the back, they had basically character sheets for all the Sailor Scouts, because it was like this company, um, I forget the name of the company, but it was based on the Tri-Stat system, that if you bought the Big Eyes Small Mouth book, because usually when you're buying a system, you're just buying a book that has all the rules in it, you could buy these fan books, and then in the back, they had all these character sheets for you if you wanted to play Sailor Mars in that system. Which is actually really cool. We played that one for a while. That was really fun. If you like anime and manga, this one is built around anime and manga tropes and is kind of amazing. Yeah, we we, we, we played GURPS for many, many years, and then we also played 
like kind of our own homebrew version of Besom for many, yeah. many, many years. Yeah, sometimes you... I have to say that sounds really awesome. Yeah. It was fun. All these systems, though, like, it depends on your GM. Sometimes you follow the rules to the book, sometimes you don't. The, the reason we played GURPS was because our, our GM was a real, like, tech head. Uh, GURPS is incredibly detailed in, like, the math that is involved. So, like, didn't somebody design a airship in GURPS that theoretically could work? Yeah, the GURPS vehicles book is basically a physics textbook. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, 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 the whole point of that one is that you're supposed to be able to build any Anything, type of world yeah. from, you know, modern day to, like, medieval to like, hard science fiction in any possible sci-fi world. It's Steve Jackson's series, so if you guys are familiar with Steve Jackson games. He had an, didn't he get investigated by the CIA for his Illuminati GURPS book? I don't something? know, that might be an urban legend, <laughs> wow. but we've heard that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. GURPS is, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for beginners, but if you game a little bit, that's kind of, I think that's one of the harder core ones, and the possibilities of that are really endless, which is why our experienced GM was like, no, we're doing GURPS. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we we played everything from like a Firefly-based game to like a straight-up Tolkien-esque medieval fantasy to... uh, you know, a superhero one, yeah. and you can you can build those characters all with the same the same number system. Mm-hmm. Most other systems are a little bit more geared toward one particular setting because mm-hmm. you know obviously the skills you need in uh, in like a Star Wars game versus a, the skills you need in like a Lord of the Rings game mm-hmm. are going to be pretty different. Yeah, and GURP specifically had books that were like. You know, some of them were specific to different genres. Same thing with Big Eyes, Small Mouth, actually. They Mm. did... A lot of them will do this. They had one that was, like, Gun Bunnies, the book, which was all about, like, Mm. basically anime full of guns. They had a Pokemon-based one, kind of. I forget what it was called. They were all really snarky. It was, like, Mm. Tiny Horrible Monsters or something was, like, the name (laughs) of it. (laughs) So you kind of, like, you know, pick which one that fits your needs. More importantly... The GM has to know how to use that system, because otherwise it gets really annoying really fast if they're checking the guidebook. And then some GMs disregard the systems and just use it as a guideline and then, you know, kind of make up some stuff while they're going around. Because you can adjust all of these. Yeah, like, this this sounds very complicated, but, you know, the story is the main thing. I mean, it does, again, it sort of depends who you're playing with. There are people who are real number crunchers, but then there are people who are really into the story. And the way that we've been gaming for the last, you know, five, ten years or so has been way more story-based, so it's the kind of thing where, as long as you kind of understand the basics of when you roll the dice and and how, uh, you just kind of go with it, and the GM says, roll your perception, and you roll your perception to see if you, you know, manage to search someone's room for the incriminating evidence, or... Uh, yeah. it's Especially in the beginning, it's kind of, just find a GM who knows what he or she is doing, and... Uh, It'll go from there. And the, and the more you do it, the better you'll get at it, the more that you kind of, you know, a lot of PCs eventually become GMs, because they're like, oh, I'd really like to design a campaign. And um, I will say that most people I know who have played, who had never played Dungeons & Dragons before or anything, and they gamed once, they really want to do it again. It's rare that somebody <laughs> was like, no, that was too weird for me. Because if you've got a good group, it's really fun. I mean, in the same way that you would play charades or something around a group of people, if you have a group of, like, friends who get along really well, and you kind of try to do something like a group activity where you're all working together, it's really entertaining. And, uh, you know, this just kind of gives you, a, like, a few rules and kind of a story scenario, and it's like, let's make a collective journey together and see who's going to be the complete fuck-up every single time. So there's usually <laughs> one who bought all the wrong skills for the campaign. Oh, for example, God. we once ran, Becca ran a one-piece game where I was the only PC of, like, six who actually took swimming. 
Or sailing. Yeah, oh my or god. Or sailing. They didn't take <laughs> swimming or sailing. I think some of them had gum gum fruits, but like, yeah, I mean, like, they didn't I, take sailing either. <laughs> Jesus. So. That's amazing. That, dude, that game didn't last too long. <laughs> no, I believe it was one session. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you kind of abandon these things, but. So, we've been gaming a very long time. Lillian, why don't you explain as somebody who got into gaming when you were a little bit older? Yeah, so it's funny. I forget if it was the Mary Sue or if it was women who read comics, but one of the blogs that I follow literally just posted an article this past week about like women in tabletop role-playing games and her experience that she was describing was exactly like mine mm-hmm. where I was definitely a nerd when I was growing up but when I got to high school it was like it was okay to be a geek and spend all your time studying but it wasn't really okay to be a nerd and be into like comics and stuff and so my my thoughts about sort of what D&D was was very similar to kind of the stereotypes at the time of like the pimply nerds with like the capes and the the <laughs> Cheetos and the Mountain Dew in the basement. And I was like, I don't really want to be those people. I have social skills. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that was sort of my relationship with it. So except that the house that I grew up in had a couple of teenage boys who lived there before we did. Like the family had two kids. And so in the basement, probably when I was eight or nine, my friend and I basically discovered like an old Dungeons and Dragons guidebook. (laughs) Um, And so like, we basically had like our babysitter who was, who was, you know, hanging out with us kind of try and read it to us and like, see if we could play it and like figure it out. But we didn't have any context for it. We didn't have any dice. We didn't have anything. So we sort of were like, well, this is interesting. We know that this is like a thing. We've heard about this. We never really got anywhere with it. Mm. So I go through college and sort of become much more openly a geek with being an anime and manga fan. But I still like, there was still that group of kids at school who who did stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, who did stuff like uh, Settlers of Catan and kind of those sorts of, of tabletop games. And I was like, yeah, I just I don't really get it. So like I, you know, when I graduated or they graduated, a bunch were living in Boston and I'd see them over breaks and stuff. And like somebody would have a, a house party. And like half the people would be standing around talking with like their glass of wine or beer or whatever. And then there'd be this like group of people in the corner who were just playing Settlers of Catan and kind of not interacting with the rest of the party. And so that was still for a long time sort of my association with that side of gaming. And there were two things that really turned it around for me. One of which is that I got really into World of Warcraft. Um, (laughs) Ho, ho, ho. How the mighty have fallen. (laughs) um, So I'm, I'm kind of a weird gamer, though, because I didn't really... Like, it became very quickly apparent to me that the way to succeed at Warcraft was just to sort of boost your stats at everything. And, like, it was so clearly Mm math-based that in some ways I didn't see it as much of a challenge. It's like, if you just level up enough, you can do whatever the fuck you want to. Yeah. And I was like, that's kind of dumb. But I really liked the the exploration aspect. I really liked the mythology. Uh, I loved sort of just being in that universe and kind of running around. And so I was very motivated to level up just from a – that allows me to explore – the next territory without getting squished by something. Um, and so that kind of, I mean, I'd always been a, a fantasy fan. I'd always, you know, been a huge Tolkien fan and stuff. So that, that sort of whetted my appetite a little bit more for the actual gaming side of things and the idea of experiencing those worlds. And then probably two or three years ago, so after I left Tokyo Pop, I think, but yeah, but, but not by much, one of my former coworkers and really good friends basically invited me to join his Dungeons and Dragons group. I forget how exactly this came up. I think I just mentioned that I was interested in like learning a little bit more about that side of things. And he's like, oh, so my friend from high school uh, and his wife and his sister and his sister's teenage daughter 
and I have been having this ongoing D and D campaign for like the last five years. Um, <laughs> would you like to join us? And I was like, eh, okay. And you know, I'll go check it out. And it was really fun. <laughs> so basically, I, for that game, I inherited the character of the other teenage daughter who is a little bit, that's just not her thing. She's, she's the wrong kind of nerd for that. Um, so I was Sally the Halfling Rogue. And uh, I forget, I think we were playing uh, D&D 3, maybe, like 3rd edition. No, I think we were playing 4th edition, and then we went back to 3rd yeah. edition. <laughs> the game playing now. Wasn't that the 3 um, and then 4, everybody went back and they did 3.5? because mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a thing. Anyway. I actually, I think I, well, it's a little different. I think I actually like 4 a little bit better than I like 3, but that's, that's a level of nerdy we can get to in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the fun thing about this group is that my friend is, you know, he's an ex-comic book editor, um, but is like, he was a theater major in college, so he's he's an accomplished writer and a storyteller um, and just an extremely enthusiastic and energetic person. Uh, the DM for the game, who's his friend from high school, and they've been playing together since high school, more or less, um, is a PhD in American history. His <laughs> oh, wife wow. is a PhD in, like, comp lit, <laughs> specifically, like, sort of women's studies. Wow. His sister is a high school teacher, um, and then her daughter, who is in college now, um, is a huge, like, Doctor Who fan, among other things. So, like, your typical kind of teenage fangirl. Mm-hmm. And then there's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is, like, an extremely overeducated and very sort of feminist-leaning, lefty D&D group. <laughs> <laughs> where I would say our focus is probably 50% playing and then 50% socializing and possibly drinking heavily. Mm. Um so it's it's very much like Dan's a really good DM and and tries hard to keep us on track, <laughs> but we don't really make a lot of progress a lot of the time because there's a lot of schmoozing, um, and we're definitely more of the like Lewis really likes the role playing aspects a lot more. I like fighting. I like actually beating stuff up. Um, so we all sort of have different things that we get out of the experience, different things that we're sort of looking for, mm-hmm. um, and I think Dan does a really good job balancing that for us. But yeah, so we, we started playing a couple of years ago and then finished up that campaign and started this new one. So we're probably about a year and a half into this new campaign. We meet like once a month about, uh, depending on everybody's schedules. And then Lewis's brother has also joined the game at this point. So, so you're and now I'm playing as a uh, half-orc paladin. <laughs> what? So, yeah. <laughs> What's your alignment? I'm, I'm uh, lawful good. You have to be to be a paladin. But you're an orc. I thought they you were can evil. Be. I I have a lot of issues with that. So, you know, my, my poor orc is dealing with a lot of stereotypes about orcs. Oh so, my God. That she's trying very difficult, you know, trying very hard to sort of overcome people's negative reactions to her. Amazing. So unfortunately, she's kind of a soft touch. So like, she goes to save these orphan children and then one of them turns into a werewolf and she's like, well, shit. <laughs> Maybe I should have killed her when I had the chance. But no, I'm lawful good. I can't do that. Wow. Nice. So the DM has a lot of fun with that. Yeah. <laughs> in the previous campaign, because I sort of picked it up halfway through, it turned out that Sally had hooked up with some random dude in a town, and then he got, I forget, he died somehow. And then his ghost just kind of followed me around for the rest <laughs> of the game. <laughs> and I was like, dude, it was just a one-night stand. Go away. <laughs> He's like, no, let me help you. And I'm like, I don't want your freaking help. Leave me alone. <laughs> you weren't awesome. even that good. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. So that's that's what our D&D game is like. Oh, so I was actually going to go back to someone you were mentioning, you know, character points and how that sort of relates to your, your relative success in the game. So the, the last time around, Lewis's character was a uh, dwarven warrior who had really great, like, damage protection spells and some, like, very good, not spells, but techniques and some really good, like, heavy hitting stuff, you know, with, like, six dice rolling at one time, et cetera, et cetera. He was the worst dice roller ever. So he'd roll six dice and get six points. And we're like, God damn it, what is the point? <laughs> Just in a more sort of overview, like one of the nice things about gaming is that you do get all of these really personal inside jokes and stories. I've sat around a table and just told gaming stories for hours. There's actually, yeah. if you guys have heard the, the cliche, like, let me tell you about my character. That's, that's like a, a gaming thing where people could just go, it's like your kid, right? You're like, so I've got this, this girl and she's like, Finding it on her own, and she went up three levels, but like she's not quite ready enough with that wood staff, and like it's really funny. People get really into it. I mean, it's yeah. like an alter ego, and yeah, but I mean, it, it's a group activity that is totally social, and yeah. it has a lot of the like. If you're a writer or a creator or a comic artist or something, if you've got so if you're somebody who creates their own stories, it has a lot in common with that. Only you've got a bunch of people who are creating the same story with you, so you've got people to talk about it with, and you know, like uh, well, Leanne has been one of our GMs for. A, quite a long time, and the, the sort of interactive nature of it, where you've got the GM who has a story, but then the people involved come up with solutions to problems that you wouldn't have thought of, or, you know, have like a weird relationship to the events or the characters that you didn't expect, and how that kind of brings out a lot of creative uh, aspects of that original story you have that wouldn't have happened if it was just one person's brain working on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I think we we've, we've gone on record saying this before, but Tokyo Demons was a like a campaign when we uh, started it. I th- was that Big Eyes Small Mouth? It was. I it think was it a Besom campaign, and we kind of went off the rails. Yeah, totally off the rails, but like super off the rails, but in a, but good, in a way. good way. And yes, I played ISA, and it's kind of on record, but. Leanne added most of the psychosexual stuff to the character of the book. I also want to go on record saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously we we adapt it really heavily before we turn it into a novel. Yeah, that one's been an adaptation. That was like... That was like 2002. We were doing that game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why it that's takes why place. It takes place. Were you the GM for that, Leanne? Yeah, Leanne or was the GM. were you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the two PCs who sort of made the book were ISA and Joe. So ISA was played by Rebecca, and Joe was played by Adam Ford, who we've. I think we, you know, he's like the thank you on the book. Yeah, the, the, he's the he's, dedication in book one. He's also one of our more prominent voice actors. He did the voice of Seb in Awake, and he's done a bunch. Uh, he's Adam. He did Adam, Adam and yeah. Demons. He was he Adam is Adam and Toki Demons. That was yeah. not intentional, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, because like Rebecca said, sometimes when you start kind of this idea, and then you have all these different brains working in it, it sort of took it indirect. Like it took the story. It was originally a satire. It was like kind of a joke. We had all of these kind of cliche anime types. Um, we re- made up these characters character sheets and put them in a hat and everybody had to draw one and play it so somebody's like oh my god i'm the angsty teenage vampire you know i'm like the mm. the kid with a mech suit in his closet like all these like really weird things yeah and everybody the, the, was forced the kid to who turns them. into bees was because there was like there was like a swarm character like like big eyes small mouth had yeah. the skill turns into a swarm which is usually <laughs> for like a vampire turning into bats or something but like well adam thought it was really hilarious and then uh yeah so we made a character that turned into like these you know, magical bee-type creatures. And then Rebecca had made a character. She always liked playing the rogue or the pickpocket. Oh, yeah. I, my my first character's mm. name was Becca Von Take Your Stuff. So uh, <laughs> I played, a, like, a thief for In, many, like, eight campaigns. But yeah. then when she and... They were other PCs in the beginning. Most of them were like, this game is fucking weird. I'm out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that was kind of during a time when... 
Leanne, Adam, and I all kind of... We had a lot of free time. We didn't have a lot of other okay. people around. Okay. We'll, we'll be honest. We were gaming up to eight hours a day for six weeks. That was gamed in real time. <laughs> it was not wow. something I would necessarily recommend. <laughs> but we were in early college, and we had a lot of time. So we would just kind of get together after either work or school. And I'd just sit there with my night. homework and, and, you know. Yeah, that's why those books, you know, they're, they're humongous. But the whole series takes place over about six weeks, because we did every day in kind of a lot of detail. But, um, so... <laughs> When Rebecca made a thief and Adam made a swarm character, they ended up pulling each other's characters out of the hat, and they're like, well, I've never played a character like this, but it might be fun, and it, you know. It was pretty fun. Yeah, it was. It, well, yeah, it was extremely fun, because we played it for a stupid number of hours every day, yeah. and Land was sitting in chem class, like, creating... Oh, yeah. yeah. I got caught, I think it was in biochem, I was doing a character sheet for a vampire. <laughs> like, is that homework? I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> but there is math involved. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it, I know a lot of people who, especially GMs and stuff, they do often adapt what they worked on into a comic or a book or something because you get this really robust, you know, obviously they always talk to the PCs first if they do mind if I write about your character in this. Um, and it, obviously things need to be changed, but it ends up being a very interesting story a lot of the time when you have all those brains into it. And especially if you can keep it from, you know, if you can keep it in, in, as one quest or as one purpose or interconnected quests or whatever. There was one game we played where somebody was writing a prose version of what had happened last session, every yeah. session. So she comes... Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She worked at a call did. center, so she had a lot of, like, downtime where she was able to type things and print them out but not save them. So she just typed <laughs> this up, like, on uh, and, and print it out and, like, bring it around next time. It was kind of neat. Yeah, because I think that when we were gaming, like, every week or two, so she would come and she had this notebook that was just everything that had happened written in a prose <laughs> version. Uh, it was great. It was really big by the end. Yeah. Because it just kind of, like, she was literally just summarizing what had happened but in, like, the prose narrative format, which is cool. So, <laughs> now... Uh, so yeah. one of like my weird things about gaming is I have really hard time having my characters make decisions that are things that I wouldn't myself do. Mm. I was talking to a friend about this. Like when we play Mass Effect, like I'm always end up ending up making like the Paragon choices rather than the Renegade. <laughs> oh, so yeah. I just don't like being mean to people. Like I have a hard time, you know, not being sort of on the good end of the spectrum. Oh, yeah, no, so like I... how do you sort of deal with that? Well, you don't have to really. I mean, you don't have to, but I do think it like it makes it interesting if you can kind of like I feel like because part of the point is to experience something other than yourself in some ways. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to sort of challenge myself to to go a little bit more off the the, the reservation in some ways. Well, you know, something that so, uh, discuss. a friend of mine talked about in uh, this is another video game thing, but when she was playing, uh, I think Skyrim, it was one of those things where she'd she decided that her character was like, a good person, but was also super religious. And you know how the religion mm. kind of works in that game. It's kind of messed up. Right. So basically, she'd do good things until a god told her to do something, and then she'd immediately do that thing, no matter how fucked up it was. So, nice. like, the idea of actually giving yourself kind of constraints, having, I mean, disadvantages are kind of what make your characters interesting, and that's something mm -hmm. that we've done a lot yeah. of stuff with our in our games with so the idea that you know if you give your character a really serious flaw and you make sure to actually play it because I mean you know there, right. there are definitely people who oh God everybody takes albino then doesn't take the tell the GM that they're an albino and they're like oh what I'm just like a really hot albino you shouldn't who, be getting like sun damage every yeah, time you go outside you know who just is doing everything totally normally and no one reacts to it anyway then yeah they take they, like they these get disadvantages like, that aren't actually disadvantages but they give you right right points. yeah like like the, the, the different ways to play the game are either you try to break the system you try to you know create the most 
incredible character who can just do whatever the hell that they want and be perfect and whatever. Mm -hmm. Or you try to play it like an actual character. Mm -hmm. And in that case, disadvantages are one of the most important things. And sometimes it can be things Mm -hmm. like, you know, having a fear, having a problem, you know, being a kleptomaniac or a uh, Mm -hmm. whatever. And I mean, I, I do think that it's a good idea to not try to play a character who's too far out of the realm of what you want to do. Yeah. And I know a lot Mm -hmm. of people who feel the same way that you do in in some of these video games where you choose a moral choice. And I feel the exact same way you do. I feel too bad being mean to the fake people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We were playing playing Starfighter the other day, and we were going for any route other than Celine and like he would make really sad face and we're like we're sorry Celine yeah yeah like I need to play that oh it's so good (laughs) it's really good I was just thinking that yesterday and playthrough is like two hours you can easily do it in one sitting yeah it's really like the perfect length for a for a visual novel nice but anyways uh you know I, I mean i think part of it is that like yeah stretching yourself is cool but the way to do that is to sort of just go deeper into your backstory see what what problems your character would have what beliefs your character would have and then and not mm-hmm. like part of the thing that that other game systems have really tried to critique about dean uh you know versus D is that they felt like the alignment system was kind of constricting and the idea that like okay so alignment is you basically choose Kind of on the spectrum of like good and evil and what kind of good and evil you are, which I think is why one of the things that makes Dungeons and Dragons itself so fascinating. So Lillian was saying that she was lawful good. So you can have like unlawful good, which is like Robin Hood. No, was that chaotic? What was the example that Robin Hood was the example no, it, of? It? Unlawful is not a thing. Chaotic. Oh, sorry. Chaotic yeah. is unlawful. I haven't played that system in a long time. But <laughs> so chaotic is, doesn't follow the laws, but they can still be good. And Robin Hood was the example they always used for that, I believe. Yeah. Um, so basically you've got a spectrum from good to evil. And you can be like sort of neutral in the middle, and you've got a, a a spectrum from lawful to chaotic. So so it's it's like sort of actual good and evil, and then following the laws and and traditions of the society you're in versus not following those laws. Right. Sorry. So like Han Solo is like chaotic good. I thought isn't that or is he is he sort of like chaotic neutral? I don't remember those movies well enough to know what he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's, I, I, I lose all my nerd cred now. I, I know he shot first, but Jesus, I haven't seen those movies in forever. Yeah. Alignment. Yeah. So that's, it's one of those like memes that you see all the time on the internet where it's like that grid of nine squares that has all these stuff in it and it'll align a bunch of characters to it. So that's, that's the classic D and D alignment grid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the thing is a lot of, a lot of other systems don't really like that, I guess, because like, like that, that is really specifically a D and D thing and other systems don't have that it is a little oversimplistic for a lot of stories like it's it's an interesting concept but it doesn't work in all settings and it doesn't work in all characters and that kind of a thing and also like a chaotic evil character is kind of hard to have part of your adventuring group you know it's kind of like well yeah i mean as as lillian had said when you talked about like there are certain things in the game that you don't feel comfortable doing or whatever if there's a stage Uh where you're like i need to be able to break more laws and I don't, just get another PC or an NPC who will break those laws and stay with them and be like a partnership. One of the great things mm-hmm. about these games is usually you're in a group. And a lot of the time when we're setting up a campaign and it's like five people are like, okay, we're going to play this game. When they make character characters together, they usually should do it in the same room at the same time so they can see what the dynamics of the group are going to be. Again, this comes down to gaming with people who are good at gaming versus gaming with assholes, where people are like, <laughs> I'm going to take every single disadvantage and constantly try to murder all of you, even though we're, you know, we're stuck on the same team because of the dynamics of the game or whatever. Because you can't have people who go on solo quests, but 
the problem is they tend to, like, monopolize the GM's time, where it's like they have to follow right. you to some side quest while the rest of your friends go get a drink, but if it's going to take an hour and a half. My favorite thing is when different members of the group know different things, so the GM has to take somebody to the other room and tell them a secret that they know that nobody else knows. Mm. Or one of the first sessions that Rebecca and I... I've been gaming since I was 10. I used to hang out with older boys. Um, but Becca and I played together when we were, like, in high school, 15, 16. And the first session that we did... Um, the GM handed her a little slip of paper because she was a thief and said, you robbed, you know, one of our other friends, Cat. You took 20 gold out of her purse. And the opening of that session was, <laughs> she, like, the game master is like, your purse is missing. And she's like, who the fuck took my purse? And then we destroy the bar, of course. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's We were all doing things in that bar, and that's kind of how we met or whatever. But none of us knew that Rebecca took the gold. <laughs> it was pretty great. Yeah. So, and also that's when you're gaming and you're getting very involved sometimes in, like, the cloak and dagger stuff. Whenever the GM is like, okay, can I see you in the other room? Everybody's like, oh, shit, something just happened. <laughs> and, and honestly, that's been something that Leanne as a GM has been really behind, is having the intrigue. And sometimes characters are sort of working at cross purposes. And, yeah. oh, man, we had a we had a game <laughs> where where we actually had, like, it was like Robin Hood versus the nobles, basically. Oh, and people and took, picked a side. Yeah. Our friend Sunita was, like, the evil queen, basically. And Rebecca was queen of the thieves. <laughs> it was great. And they were constantly trying to kill each other. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she got me pretty good. It was bad. Yeah, she did. You lost. <laughs> I lost. She ended up in chains. But that's what's, like, I wouldn't recommend that to begin with. Yeah, <laughs> like, that, was, that was kind of advanced. Yeah, like, player player versus player stuff can get kind of tricky. I mean, obviously, your, your characters are going to argue about certain stuff, but actually pitting them against each other is kind of risky, I guess. Um, when it's done right, I think it's really, really fun. <laughs> um, also, I rec recommend the following things, like, uh, if you feel like you're playing the same type of character too much, or you just don't know where to start, get somebody to make a character sheet for you, the same way we did with Tokyo Demons, uh -huh. where that can be really fun, because you really gotta kind of get yourself in a different mindset. Okay, I would also recommend, if one of your friends does not show up to the character-making session, even though he promised he would, the group collectively makes a character for him, and it is the most unflattering, oh, useless, man. terrible character, he, and he's he was, forced to play it? Yeah, he was, uh, he was really into animals, um... In but a, he worked in a romantic sense. Okay, he in real life he worked in a a vet office. So in game we gave him the disadvantage bestiality, which by the way he used to win the quest. Yeah, he seduced this wolf like really hard. Yeah, everybody was about to eaten by a wolf, and he seduced it, and like they ran off into the sunset. He had a so, really ugly horse that he wasn't attracted to, and that was how he got around. So he wouldn't be wow. tempted. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, wow. like his weapons were like wet down. <laughs> Also, um, he was, he, his only armor was like head to toe black leather, but he also had gets overheated easily as a disadvantage and then wow. faints when gets hot. But the thing is, he like, <laughs> he embraced it and ran yeah, with it. It was amazing. He made, like, he ran an amazing campaign with that character. He kept using each one of these terrible, the basket we ran, I think was one yeah, of that them. Was one but he, again, he used that to charm some princess or like sneak his way into some, Whatever it was, it was great. Like, he took every single thing on that character sheet and gamed it and he had a very yeah, successful I think part of it character. is, like, don't be afraid to be kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I, I do I do feel like the, the games we run that were good were with people who could laugh at themselves and do these silly things. And a lot of the games that were bad were with people who either couldn't keep focused or were so obsessed with sort of succeeding that they yeah. didn't really enjoy themselves. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's actually another good article that I read this week that was like things that people misunderstand from Tolkien. 
Mm. And it had to do with like, you know, the fact that it's not actually really a medieval setting, except kind of for Gondor set up, blah, blah, blah. But like the thing that I thought was particularly interesting relates to what you said is that the idea of your protagonist not being special. Mm-hmm. So and like that's the thing that I think everybody took out of that is like the every man who turns out to secretly be amazing and powerful and is going to save the world. And like that's actually the opposite of who Frodo is. I mean, Frodo's <laughs> yeah. totally the every man, but he's not special. Like that's the entire point. It's like he doesn't have powers. He's not the one who's destined to save the world. He's just kind of a regular guy who happens to be the one who kind of mans up and like works really hard and struggles and like drags himself through this quest. And I thought that was really interesting, that idea that and it, it, you don't want to make the character who's perfect and who's overpowered and turns out to be, you know, this this paragon of virtue and whatnot. You want the guy who basically just wants to be back in his freaking hobbit hole. <laughs> and like the only reason why he manages to survive is because his friend who's even sort of more seemingly ordinary, you know, just won't give up on him. Mm. <laughs> I was like, that's really that's a really insightful little piece of mm-hmm. <laughs> like analysis right there. Yeah, the weaker um, uh, the weaker characters or the more average people, or if you're for, you know the GM forces you to take certain disadvantages or whatever, that makes for really interesting gaming. A lot of the time, when you start a campaign, the GM will say, "Okay, this is twenty point characters," which means you have like twenty points to to divvy up. Mm-hmm. But maybe the bad guys are like a hundred point characters and you just, you're nowhere near being able to face them. And that's something in, in Tokyo Demons. I remember Toya had eight attacks per round. Like we, <laughs> we set up kind of like, they were like, um, levels of bad guys that you kind of had to, to, to deal with. And anybody who reads Tokyo Demons knows that Toya's relationship with them is kind of antagonistic and crazy. But he was supposed to be the kid who's kind of with you from the beginning. But if you actually ever tried to take him down, he was ridiculous, like way too powerful. Mm. And you had to kind of like, build up and fight the people, smaller fry villains or whatever, in order to fight the last guy, who may or may not be the person who's been with you from the beginning, who, you know, mm. Toy helps them a lot, too. And I'm not going to spoil it, because we're in book three now. It's it's more complicated <laughs> in the book version, but that was how it was originally designed. So he was, like, a 120-point character, and they were, like, 20 or 30-point characters. And maybe at that point, mm-hmm. they leveled up to, like, 30 or 40. But yeah, yeah, they yeah. had, to, like, six of them had to take him down. It was <laughs> difficult. So I think... Picking low tech settings or just low character numbers so that people really have to think their way out of situations. They can't necessarily, I mean, mm-hmm. if you want to grind, like, that's cool. Sometimes people like doing these little quests and stuff. Like you said, like, there's certain gamers who really like the number crunching. They like kind of building towards something. But I've always really liked putting them in a situation where they're not strong enough to just bash their way out of it. They need to think they need to team up they need to get out you know tactical retreats for yeah, example yeah. Or, and and you know like that's one of those mm-hmm. things that like in a video game setting you can't do yeah and that's part of what makes tabletop mm. gaming so much fun is that like instead of being all like well i hit them with my sword you can be like well there's a tree here so they haven't noticed me yet i'm gonna climb the tree and try to hide and then they notice me so i jump down on the head of somebody and then like you mm-hmm. know like you can sort of use mm-hmm. the environment to your advantage you can basically anything you think up you can do mm-hmm. and if you have a gm mm-hmm. they will roll with that, you know? Yeah, and you play with things like perception, like we said, the game GM taking somebody out of the room. They'll right. always, um, back in the day, Dungeons and Dragons, they would have what they called like a DM screen, which yeah. is basically like, yeah, it, it's kind of like a cardboard thing that it, it gives you like a tiny cubicle almost on a desk, so people can't see what you're doing behind there. Now that was partially so the GM could hide his or her notes, but it also meant that they could kind of like secretly roll the dice. If something was happening mm. off script, if something was going to happen to the characters that was up to chance or up to, you know, they were rolling for the villains or whatever. Or, or for perception because. Perception, you know. yeah. So they could have, they could be rolling the dice, um, for things that 
you know, may or may not happen that they kind of plan for either scenario. Um, we use that too, where it's like, oh my god, the GM's rolling, what the fuck just happened? Like, you know, like, oh, <laughs> do you poke your head in this room? And it's like, okay. And then they roll, it's like, oh god, please don't cut off my head. I guess somebody was in there. Because there's a real person element in, in there, and these are people that you're kind of interacting with on a face-to-face basis, or even if you're doing it via Skype or whatever, they, there's so many things in there that because of these human beings doing it and it's not a computer system, it makes it so much more interesting. And also, of course, you build up relationships with these people and, you know, we saw romances grow and and crash and burn <laughs> oh, uh, that got during games. Sometimes. Yeah, that got real yeah. awkward. If people start dating in game and they start gaming in real life and they break up in dating real life. Dating in real life. Sorry. Yeah. Dating in real life carries over into the game, then they break up and it's carries just, over into the game. That carries no, it's just a bad <laughs> scene all around. Yeah. Anyway, so the different um specifically about gaming while a girl. <laughs> when we started, because like, we started gaming with, you know, male GMs and stuff, Dungeons Dragons and whatever. Once we started gaming ourselves, Tokyo Demons was not a super female female gaze, G-A-Z-E game. Uh, most of the, P- the PCs were men at that point, too. But after that one, we, we designed it to be kind of like a high school romance was the base setting, which nobody had, none of our friends had done. It was always like in space or, you know, in medieval. And we really liked the... Um, that element of it, the school hierarchy. Um, I think the first mission was get Kyoshi laid, wasn't it? Yeah, like, something he, like he that. Was in love with this girl, or get him to go. To, yeah, has, the whole thing with Kyoshi and Mai, where you were trying like, to hook them up. That was yeah. And this one guy who was playing, who had been my GM in all the other games, and he's like, "Okay, I'll, I'll PC to make sure you don't screw this up." He had immediately cracked the system, made some sort of kung fu artist who could, you know, a martial artist who could kill everyone. I don't know. He cracked the system immediately because he's that's kind of his thing. His thing. And then I was like, "No, no, the quest is." get him a date with her. And he's like, what the fuck do you... I'm like, get him a date with her. So he had to sit and think about it. But he ended up coming up with a yeah. really great plan. <laughs> he could, like, scale the building and stuff to, like, you know, yeah, knock like, on her window gently and, yeah. like, yeah, just, just great. <laughs> yeah, somebody had the skill plays music that has magic spells, and they got them mm. to play music, ne- like, romantic music nearby to kind of, like... Well, like, they set up something where they would be alone and they played music nearby to, like, up the mood. They basically used all of their ridiculous skills they bought, assuming that they were going to have to blow up, like, anime villains in this, and instead used it to try and get Kyoshi a date. And it was really cute, like, seeing them all kind of adjust to that, and I was like, oh my god, we need to only do these games. <laughs> like, that's, that's all we're going to do. So we ended up doing a series over the next ten years, a series of different games that were specifically designed around kind of shoujo in a lot of ways. And then we had one or two games that were exclusively female PCs, like men weren't actually allowed. We did that as a test once, and it ended up being so amazing. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of girls who were kind of, they'd, they'd never game before, they were kind of uncomfortable about it, they didn't really know. And then they were like, oh, you have an all-girl game, I'll go to that. We had like eight PCs in that, and those those parties were off the fucking hook. They were amazing. Also, that was by far the filthiest game I've ever <laughs> run. It was disgusting. <laughs> and this is another thing that I remember Penny Arcade made a joke about this many years ago. Apparently, when girls GM, and also when they just PC, they really want more sex in the games. Um, they want romantic misadventures or whatever. Do you remember that? There was an old Penny yeah, Arcade yeah. where there was a girl. She's like, I run erotic uh, like dungeon thrillers or whatever, but... Like, I think it's almost a cliche that girls want more kind well, of... Well, that was in the Community episode, too. Yes! Where... No, that's right! In yeah. Community, too! Right, with Annie doing her whole, like, elf maiden seduce thing. Yeah. yeah. Whoever, and everybody's... Like, that's such a great scene, because it's all just her sort of doing pantomime, and everybody just staring at her in silence with, like, music in the background. But it's yeah. true that, like, um, you know, as particularly as, like, female nerds who are pretty likely to have, 
you know, been reading a Romance fair novels. amount of not not even yeah, just like yaoi or fan fiction or mm-hmm. erotic fiction of you know, pick your flavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. something something with a ton of sex in it. It kind of right. like comes up, and in the fact that we we like to have these really sort of character intense games where yeah. there would be a lot of relationship building, both in ro- a romantic and in a sort of inter- any general interpersonal sense. Oh yeah, and we used to have um, if we specifically wanted to have a romance game. People, so when you succeed at a quest or, or succeed at a particular something, at the end of the session, the GM will give you experience points, which you, it's more points to put into your character. So, like, if you did really well that day, you'll get us, you know, three experience points, and it'll, the more you have, the more skills you can buy, the more powerful you can get, whatever, leveling up, like regular, like video game RPGs. But in our games, we would value things like if you could get somebody's number, like phone number, you got like a <laughs> lot of points, because that was kind of like the point. Like, like, I don't care that you killed that. You know, vill- I think we had a lot of Yakuza and stuff for a while. Yeah, We did, yeah. like, the mob. One of the games had a lot of Yakuza characters in it. Yeah, cause... we did a number of them in Japan based specifically off manga tr- manga tropes and, like, mm-hmm. different settings. But it's like... Did you do a Tokyo Crazy Paradise one? <laughs> you know, we did a, a Tokyo one that had a lot of Tokyo Crazy Paradise elements, even though it was it was present yeah. day. But we definitely... At- Becca, you were in drag several times. She was a girl no, dressed as a boy. It was, was it somebody once. else? We had a couple characters. We had a couple people who were, like, like I was doing the sort of traditional, like, pretends to be a boy to escape from such and such. But we had a couple of really kind of, like, like actual trans characters who were just kind of doing their thing. And we yeah, had a lot of people of who were like, I'm going to just wear a dress for fun characters. Yeah. And, you know. We had some shapeshifters who shapeshifters, would specifically yeah. turn into... Like, somebody else's boyfriend to play a trick on them. I mean, not not like a really gross trick, but... Hilarious tricks. Mm. They, they were hilarious tricks. But they would um, shapeshift into men for, you know, for fun. They're also just, like, cross-gender gaming. A lot of people will game a gender that they are not. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, I, I play a terrible man. I only did it once. It was terrible. Oh, yeah, you uh, played a male PC. No, you're not good at it. <laughs> no, I was super bad at it. But, uh... It's not everybody's comfort zone, you know? Like, when I used to, I, I don't PC much anymore. I'm mostly GM. But I was almost always a male character. Like, in... You know, we talked about how people kind of uh, live out things that they're interested in in-game. <laughs> Gender and sexuality is one of those things people oh, yeah. really, really like to explore in games where people are sent- are are cool with it. You know, I mean, if you're hanging out mm-hmm. with a bunch of like bro misogynist types, then probably not. But like, you know, in the games we played, like just uh, people would play around with gender and sexuality all the time just because it was interesting to them and mm-hmm. something that they wanted to explore in their own minds, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again. If you can find a group of girls who will play, sometimes that's more comfortable for the first setting. Um, we eventually started running shoujo games where men were welcome, because there were certain boys that were like, I know this is an all-girl game, but I really want to play a high school romance. Yeah, well, like, we, we, had the, we had the all-girl group, and then we had the all-girl group where a certain guy bought his way in with cookies. <laughs> and we are like, fuck yes, you are very welcome. Yeah. It, it's fun. We mostly did kind of romance. We did a Victorian romance. We did a couple medieval ones bunch of modern they most of them had elements of intrigue and romance and you know usually some kind of magic that was used for more intrigue and romance Mm -hmm. yeah psychic powers or magic powers or whatever so i think maybe we should talk about the sparkler game okay do we want to yeah this is a little bit uh still in the works right now but it's something that we're planning to do very soon yeah so we think that we're gonna run basically a tabletop rpg live on twitch with well, Lillian's going to play it, and the two of us, and who else? Was Jill going to play? Well, a couple of the editors are going to play, and we might um, gain, uh, like have more people join us over time. Uh, we're going to do it, well, it'll be live, but recorded, but people can kind of contribute in the uh, comments field and stuff, because we're looking at sort of the um, things that Twitch 
will allow. And, and if you guys are familiar with Twitch, it's basically a really big streaming site that's specifically for kind of live gaming of different sorts. And apparently, like, tabletop RPGs are kind of a thing there. And something I will say about the Sparkler community is we've met so many amazing people since starting this magazine. Mm. A lot of them are creators in by some stretch, you know, mm-hmm. um, in some way. But we just can't publish nearly as many people as I want to. And we were trying to think of something we could do where we could engage with these amazing people we've met in a creative way because we would like their feedback on this kind of game. Like, I like the idea of running a game where there are people in the back, like a basically a peanut gallery that if some character's <laughs> like, what the hell am I going to do? And everybody's like screaming in the chat room, like, follow him, follow him, follow yeah, him or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that there are ways we can make it sort of a collective universe so that other people can contribute, that um, people can write up things, they can draw pictures for it and stuff. But it, it's... So much of Sparkler is based on publishing media and just kind of sending it out to the masses and, you know, welcoming fan work. But I want something that's almost fan work from the beginning, as opposed to having a really, really stable canon, something that's a little bit more collective um, consciousness storytelling. But, I mean, we're going to try it. I kind of wanted to lob the question on this podcast and see if people would be interested in that. Um, Rebecca is designing a gaming system specifically for (laughs) this, based off of, you know, because, again, we've played a lot yeah. of different systems. Well, honestly, it's based a lot on kind of the philosophy that I've been talking about now, where having a lot of sort of disadvantages and character quirks makes the game a lot more interesting, and kind of, uh, you know, having your your successes and failures kind of built in mm-hmm. just basically makes for a funnier, more entertaining, cooler game with more imp- unpredictable things happening. Yeah, the, the, the way that you build characters in this um and we'll we'll do a session that's just character creation a little bit so people kind of understand how it it won't be super boring because character creation can be an hour of somebody staring at a piece of paper but um (laughs) we'll kind of go run down kind of how you would build a character in the system and a lot of it is based on building the kind of person that you are um there's a little bit less focus on skills obviously there's less focus on things like hacking off (laughs) orcs heads you can still do a modern thing yeah Yeah, you could it's gonna be a modern you can't hack off an orc's head if there is no orc yes but, you know. Uh, we're going to do... The supernatural element is... Is it psychic powers only? It might only be psychic powers. Yeah, I think we we're going to do kind of low-powered, gritty, but yeah, not too gritty. You know? Yeah. Modern setting. Urban fantasy. Sort of, yeah. Except we'll go into it a little bit later. It's not actually in a city. There's a... Well, we'll explain it later. But one thing that we did in the old Bessem systems that we're going to... Uh, make probably something that you have to do in this system is when you take an advantage, something like a psychic power that gives you obviously kind of an advantage over normal people, you have to take an associated disadvantage with it. So in the same way that we had um, kind of in the Tokyo Demons game that if you took a psychic power because it was a brain mutation that you had, you needed to also take some sort of brain issue. It could be some sort of a disorder. It could be some kind of a phobia. It could be just something else is off about you in a normal way to kind of balance that out a little bit. So that if you choose to take, like, a psychic power, then, you know, like, let's say you can hear people's thoughts, then disadvantage would be something like, always know what everybody's thinking about you and constantly anxious and paranoid, or... Well, it, the, the disadvantage would be paranoia or anxiety. Yeah, yeah. It's not, like, a long sentence that's no, confusing. No. <laughs> of course not. I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh... Yeah, something like that. Or, yeah. like, if you can, if you're a postcog, if you can, um, God, I'm, I'm even paraphrasing psychic powers. We are way too deep in nerdery. If you have postcognition, which is the ability to see the past, then you might have the disadvantage, can't get over stuff. <laughs> you know, or, like, you're <laughs> stuck in the past, or whatever the case is, like, because you can't leave those ghosts behind. Um, 
things like that. So we'll kind of build it in so it'll the character building aspect will be a little bit more robust because so much of it is going to be interacting with NPCs, dealing with kind of um, intriguey stuff. Uh, Shoujo-y, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, more like Jose because everybody... It's going to be sort of like a college age thing. We want people to be able to boink without it being like, well, I say without it being uncomfortable, but of course it would be uncomfortable. <laughs> um, which reminds me a little bit of, we were talking about sex and gaming, GURPS, which has a, ga- a book for everything. There was actually a fan-made book called GURPS Sex, which was a incredibly exhaustive, <laughs> it was a very long list of very specific uh, sex skills that had point values associated with it. I think it was made for people who are, like, prostitutes and stuff, you know, so they could have very specific sexual skills. This was one of the more educational sexual tomes I've ever read in my life. Um, when I got my hands on it when I was, like, 17, I'm like, I did not know any of the- our boys into this, I think was my first question. Like, are you kidding me? Because it clearly had a very male bent to it. But um, it was interesting. So it, it's not like this hasn't been done before. But, uh, and I don't, I don't know how... Like, obviously, this, this campaign is going to be, like, fairly adult, because I'm sure we're going to be cursing, like, nothing. But not more adult than our podcasts. Yeah. Sex scenes are not graphic. They're just, uh... Yeah. Oh, unless you see that Community episode where sometimes somebody decides to get very graphic <laughs> and everybody's sitting there like, What? Yeah. Can you fade to black, please? Our, our players will get as graphic as they are comfortable with, <laughs> knowing that random people are listening to them. <laughs> and possibly our parents. Okay, my parents are going to fucking watch a Twitch stream I mean, I don't this. know about your parents, but uh... yours might... <laughs> I'm not telling my okay. parents. My parents. All right. <laughs> anyway, so if that's something that you guys would be interested in, if you'd like to participate, um, we will be... Uh, we already have a Twitch account. We secretly set one up a couple weeks ago. We were kind of looking into this, and we're balancing out the system. But it's something yeah. we'd start this fall. Mm-hmm. Probably it's... do, like, once or twice a month. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit more setup, particularly since we're sort of building our own system from scratch for it, which is pretty well underway. Yeah. yeah, that's Rebecca. She's good with numbers. I love I love creating game systems. I've done it in the past a little bit, but never on any kind of level. Well, I I built a system for that One Piece game, and then a certain person destroyed it in one session. So, yeah. But if anybody out there wants to role play the One Piece universe, the the manga One Piece universe, Rebecca made a very excellent gaming system. Yeah, unfortunately, out of it. though, I think it's on my dead computer. I think oh, it's gone forever. Mm-hmm. It was great. Though. It was. It was- cool. I thought it was pretty cool, you but, you know, whatever. So, actually, at one point, we had someone who put together a, a Bizengast RPG that I have, like, a couple oh, copies of, um, which is really neat. It's a really neat system, and, like, it's a neat, like, understanding of the world to kind of create the structure. So, I mean, you're basically going into sort of little mini-worlds to solve ghost problems and stuff. Oh, cool. Um, so, that'd be, like, that'd be something that'd be super fun to play in the future. Yeah. It'd be like, hey, Marty. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Do you mind if Spark does some cross-collateralization here? Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm also, um, I'm curious how well one can game over Skype. I know, Becca, you've done it before, haven't you, gamed over Skype? Oh, uh, yeah, a little bit. How did it go? Oh, uh, it was fine. I mean, that was actually a little bit weird because I was Skyping into a live gaming session, so it was a little bit... Oh. <laughs> uh, because so all the other people were there sitting around in a room, but uh, I was in Connecticut and they were in Toronto. So mm. uh, well, at least you and I will be in the same room for this. So yeah, but but I mean, no, the, the issue here is more like we'll all be on headphones, with yeah. microphones. So I think it'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Like the only issue I had with that was occasionally people were hard to hear, but honestly, it went surprisingly well. You know, mm. it was nice to. I don't know if I can't see your lovely faces. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could do video chat for once. We might a little bit. We'll kind of see what, what happens. I think, like, yeah. in Twitch you can run... I mean, I'd have to, like, not wear my pajamas, but... I know, I'd have else? to, like, brush my hair and shit. Mm, yeah, I know. I hope that's the worst thing that ever happens to me, <laughs> is I have to put on pants on a weekend. You actually really don't have to put on pants, technically, yeah. you know. 
Oh, good point. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> But uh, we were talking about actually having sort of images and stuff because you, you can run it so you can see what's on your desktop. So if we get some character designs from somebody or if we just have, like, you know, background images of where we're supposed to be, we can kind of, or, you know, yeah. even having having people's character sheets Map. visible so people can see that. Yeah, yeah, maps and stuff. Yeah, and this one also, the setting is mostly inside, like, a giant facility. It's kind of like a, not a university, but it's kind of similar to a university, so we might be able to do... Like a map that's like in Otome games, where it's like, you know, where do you go in the quad? Oh, yeah. You know, like to go to this area, you go to this yeah. place, and whatever. Just to give kind of a, a sense of place. It's not that essential, but sometimes like that visual might help people, especially if they're new to this. And yeah, and it, it might just be kind of fun to have a visual aspect to it like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's a neat idea. It'd be fun. Rebecca and I have been talking about it a yeah. lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, not, yeah, not for the podcast, but we're, we're uh, Maggie and I are going away on this trip for a couple days, and our plan is to leave as much work behind as possible. Just bring the game with us. Yeah, and nice. uh, yeah, just try and try and make some real progress on that. Okay. We really like gaming. We, I know it's been so <laughs> freaking long. It has been. That's why I'm so excited for this because I miss gaming so hard. Now I get to do it, and it's technically work. Yay! Yay! Okay. Anyways, back to podcast. Back to we'll podcast. So yeah, we'll uh, keep you guys posted on that. But yeah, you know, and if people have any opinions, just just tweet at us, and yeah, we'll yeah. we'll we'll be talking about this a lot, and hopefully getting people's opinions and and uh... yeah, because I was considering maybe having. Well, there's going to be a certain number of NPCs because, like, I have to make a lot of people that you can date, obviously, because <laughs> a lot of these are very similar to dating sims. Like Rebecca would walk into a room and there's like six boys of different types, and it's like, well, you're going to date one or all of them. I will say we had one game where this one NPC slept with every single PC. <laughs> <laughs> a certain guy was bribed with laser eyes, if I recall. Well, okay, most people wanted to. There's one or two that were like, we just have to finish this up. If I give you like this many bonus points for you sleeping in them. Will you? Leanne thought it was hilarious. It was, yeah. So. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Uh, it was a social experiment. What's the most fuckable man you can create? <laughs> Leanne thinks really messed up things are always hilarious. So. Just, just wait, Lillian. You have not been one of her PCs before. You're gonna see how this is. Also, give your, I'm excited. give yourself a solid backstory because if you're like, oh, I don't know who, you know, my, such and such parent is, or blah blah blah. It will come back to bite you in the ass in the worst oh, possible God, way. Yeah, don't take secret backstory as like a disadvantage. It will be the worst thing you yeah. can possibly imagine. And we can't give you examples <laughs> because they're Tokyo Demon spoilers. Yeah, but everybody's like, backstory is like fuck. Like I say, and Joe really should have come up with backstories. <laughs> it's the worst. I didn't know what the B girl's backstory was. Sorry. Well, it ended up being horrible. Yeah. So be good. That's Tokyo Ghosts. Nice. Yeah. So I, nice. I would. That's the one thing I would recommend. Yeah. Make your own backstory. Okay. Uh, try not to have too many okay. gaping holes, unless you like horrible things. Oh yeah. It is I mean, the thing fun. is, horrible things happening to you is pretty fun for gaming purposes, yeah. and you know. But like, if you had somebody who died, make sure you saw the body. Things like that. <laughs> <laughs> Open casket funerals only. Yeah. So. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. We'll uh, we'll kind of play with that. I'm thinking about maybe doing. We're gonna have a certain number of NPCs. Depending on how the tech of this works and stuff, I was debating have, like, if we could have guest gamers, people who really want to, you know, join us in a session or two for a PC, that they could take over, like, a an NPC and play them for a session. If, like, mm-hmm. they, or even, you know, they can make their own character and stuff. I'm debating how we can involve the public more. Obviously, the easiest way is if they observe the game and they just type in their suggestions while they're walking. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, rather. Mm-hmm. They can just type in their suggestions while they're watching. Mm-hmm. But we might be able to have a way to have, like, more people gaming over time. 
Yeah, we're Especially. gonna we can't promise anything yet, but we're gonna experiment with it a bit. Yeah. And uh hopefully get get some of our uh our people involved. Yeah. We talked about doing one or two modules as Tokyo Demons to test out this system. I don't know if we're still going to do that, but because that already has characters and just have mm-hmm. anybody who wants to play them. We might do that separately. I don't really know. Yeah, you know, we we, we, we don't want to, like, throw too much out there right now, but yeah, we, have, we, we got a lot see of stuff what, planned. Yeah, we want to see kind of what works or what people are actually yeah. interested in. Because, like, one thing that we want to talk about this podcast, but we can't because Lisa's not here, is just RPing, um, which mm. is... Like, you know, more of an online thing, but nothing, something that I never did, so I don't really know the, the specs of it, but yeah. Lisa will talk about that in a future podcast. Not to get too, too far off topic, but do you want to maybe, land if people out there are listening to this and they're like, oh man, I've always kind of wanted to game, but I don't know what I'm doing, how would you suggest that somebody start if they want to be a GM and run a game? Well, I wouldn't suggest... Oh, that's a good question. I wouldn't suggest start by GMing. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, if, if you've got a whole bunch of newbies, like, because we're talking about yeah. an audience that doesn't necessarily have people who know how to game, maybe all they have is a book. Well, then watch on Twitch now. Uh, like, I, I would say that if you can, like, if you can't physically PC in a game or you can't sit in on a game that someone else is running to kind of learn how it goes, just watch somebody else doing it on Twitch before you jump into anything like that. I mean, you can watch us, obviously. Eventually. Once, once you kind of understand the dynamic of it and stuff. Um, obviously, you need to make a world. You need to make a certain number of um, NPCs, like characters that people are going to react, or people are going to interact with pretty regularly. Not everybody does a ton of NPCs. I know that unlike Dungeons & Dragons campaigns, some people are just like, well, there's Orc 1 and Orc 2, and they you know, they don't really... They're just somebody you talk to in the village. I like having, like... I like to start with, like, between 6 and 10 NPCs build up, you know planned out where it's like these people you work with them or they're in your class or whatever and they're sort of archetypes um i'd recommend building a couple if you have a couple npcs who are pretty regular make a character sheet for them for you because you might have to have them do some sort of scenarios as well with them build an over uh, a bigger world maybe have an overarching plot but start with a module that you think you can run in one session this is really important mm. is like the opening session should be one contained adventure and we're going to do that as well where it's like there's one problem they need to solve this is how people are going to maybe meet each other like a lot of people i mean people do it in different ways but a lot of the time the first session is for all of the the people who are gaming to, to sometimes know each other and then their characters to know each other Maybe one or two mm-hmm. of them, like, for example, if two people are dating and they're like, we want to play a married couple in the game or whatever, like, they would probably know each other already. But a lot of the time that first session is that example that we used earlier, like, you're all at a bar, you know, Rebecca had, you know, the GM told Rebecca <laughs> she had robbed one of the other characters. I think I was like a traveling performing elf in that one. So I was like doing some sort of show. I think I was juggling on the mm-hmm. stage. There was somebody who I think worked as the bartender and somebody else who had shown up after their last kill, you know, somebody was like a barbarian or whatever, and they were drunk. And this basically turned into a giant bar fight. Where, I don't know if we all got arrested together or something like that. There was mm-hmm. some kind of, like, you set up this kind of powder keg, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's something that kind of brings them together. It made a really great opening session. That's a very good example of one. So, yeah, I would say you don't you don't have to plan out every single session. I mean, that's something that you do as you go along. Once you understand the way people are gaming, you kind of get some insight into the psychology of the people that you're gaming with, and you also see what they like. Because, I mean, there have been things that I'm like, oh, this will be a great plot point. And I integrate it into the game and people are like, fuck that. I, you know, forget that guy. Or I'm not I'm not going to that cave no matter how much you tell me there's, like, gold in there. So it's like, all right, well, fuck the cave. Like, you don't want to yeah. plan out so much in advance that if people don't like it, you can't ditch it. You can't be too inflexible or people are going to get mad because they're not always going to want to do what you want them to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I would say general world, 
Usually I have an overarching plot, but again, it depends how story-based you are. And then one opening module and a couple characters in it and see how that goes and then kind of build from there. Because there were things that, you know, shit I never would have thought of that came up while we were gaming these various games. I'm like, oh my god, that was so fun what they just brought up. I'm going to totally, like, we're going to go in that direction and follow up with them. Or I'll pretend I was thinking that all along, even though I totally wasn't. <laughs> like, you need to kind of let yourself go with who the characters are um, in, in your PCs and the humans behind the PCs. So you really play mm-hmm. it to your audience. It's like, you know, performance mm-hmm. art, basically. Yeah. Also, prepare some voices in advance. <laughs> like, if you oh, have a lot of... Leanne's boy voice is hilarious. A series of, a series of boy voices. There's usually, well, since so many of these were like kind of girl games based a little bit off Otome games and stuff, they're usually like six handsome boys. There had to be a minimum of three NPC boys per female PC if they were playing straight girls. Mm -hmm. So sometimes (laughs) a lot of boys, but. Yeah, there were also some, some attractive ladies as well, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, but there was, usually we had a lot of straight girls, so there was like way too many boys. Her boys are marshmallows and her girls are badasses. That's kind of how it looks. That's a lot of, I think, female written fiction comes out. Yeah. Soft, lovesick boys and hardcore girls, but <laughs> we'll have some variety. That too, if you're like, man, I don't really like this character, whatever, you can oh, man, transfer student, look at that! Somebody who's way more appealing. There have definitely been cases where <laughs> you introduce an NPC, and everybody hates them, and it's like, okay, well, he just... And you're like, well, now what? He dies a fiery death. <laughs> or he's an enemy, you know. Or, yeah, or he could be secretly evil. an enemy. Oh, I also like, if you have, like, let's say there are ten NPCs in your class, one of them is secretly evil. That usually works pretty well, so it's mm. like there was some kind of conspiracy and one of them was a traitor or... You know, and we did a bunch of that. Yeah, yeah there's there somebody who was always working against you and you, one of the things that you had to figure out was which one was working against you, even though they didn't always know mm-hmm. starting. But it was like over time, it's like, oh my god. And then there'd be a couple red herrings where it's like some people were hiding things, but that wasn't what they were hiding. Like a good mystery. You also, know? in the same way as sometimes you do this when you're serializing a novel... Uh, or a comic or something, if we were too close to the real solution, Leanne would come up with something else. Be all like, oh, what? You didn't figure it out. And then, you know. Yeah, yeah. Don't (laughs) be so stuck to, like, if, well, I won't go into this in too much detail, but when it comes to things like twists, especially when in gaming, don't have one big twist. Because there's a good chance somebody's going to figure it out. You should have a series of twists, preferably interlinked, so you wouldn't necessarily figure out twist number three unless you knew twist number one or, or twist number two or whatever the case is. Or if you, you know, if you can't think of a million twists and you only have the one, if people are getting too close and it would make the game really boring, you got to change it. So we did that a lot. There was like, oh, when you figured that thing out, well, who cares about that anymore? There was something way bigger <laughs> that clearly had been planned from the beginning. <laughs> I, I Actually, I think that's a good point, that if you serialize something online and you have interactivity with the fandom, it's kind of similar to running a game. So you guys will hear more about that soon. <laughs> Sparkler's game. Yay! Yay! We hope it's fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. I know. We're all really looking forward to it ourselves, so we hope we hope people have fun listening to it, too. Yeah. There was a year where um, we gamed, I'm going to say, like, 30 hours a week for a year, maybe? <laughs> this was, like, a year off. I, I didn't work much that year. I was really poor, but all we did was game. Yeah, I was, like, a student in... Two girls flunked out of school. Oh, that not I me. Mean, not out of school. They, they flunked... That semester, I think, because they were gaming with us. So, game responsibly, I guess, is my point. Yeah. Like, you know how we were saying, don't do the things that we do? Don't do the things that we do. We're Mm. bad. But, uh, if you do, we understand. My point being, we really enjoy gaming, and we haven't been able to do it much the last couple years because we're so busy with Sparkler, so this is kind of a cheap, this is kind of a cheap way for us to, uh, game a little more, hopefully, and get more people involved. Mm -hmm. I really want more to have something with the Sparkler community can feel a little bit more ownership or, 
you know, contributions. Yeah, and also, gaming is super fun, and, you know, like Lillian was saying, a lot of the people in our nerd circles are like, oh, is that like the, where's the Mountain Dew, you know, creepy dudes in a basement being gross thing, and it's like, no. No, it's whatever you want it to be. I mean, it's creepy ladies being gross in a basement sometimes, let's be totally honest. Mm. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know. But I'm okay with creepy ladies. Yeah, it's mm. like, like, for us, that's just hilarious. Yeah. And, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. And don't be afraid to do things like have affairs, like you're dating one NPC and sleeping with another. We've done that. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, but the train wreck is so much fun. <laughs> but again, depends how comfortable you are against your own ethics, but. Sometimes the NPCs will do that. They'll be cheating on you or whatever. We'll see how, how yeah, involved the sexual politics It's get. like, it's, you know, it's, it's melodrama. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, it's like a big old awesome soap opera with like magic powers. Low powered magic yeah. powers, but yes. Shit is fun. So we, we hope we'll see you there. <laughs> if you have any suggestions, uh, or questions about this or any future podcasts, feel free to contact us, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, forums, whatever mm-hmm. the case. Anyways, thank you for listening. Lillian, do you have anything you want to add? Nope, I'm just looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) And we will see you next time with podcast number 10. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see you next month. Bye. Bye. Have you been off the cruise floor yet? You know, we're only using, like, the top 5% of the ship. I know. Rosa brought me down once. Ugh. I hate the passenger pods. I don't mind the crew pods, but on the lower decks, ugh, 40,000 people in those tight little rows, like ice cube trays. Do you know anyone down there? Oh, sure. My parents and my little brother are down there. Wait, I never told you that? <laughs> They're the reason my sister and I had to split 50 years. Oh, sorry, I did know that. If someone's frozen and they're not crew, they're in the lower decks. Your stepdaughter should be down there. Yeah. What maintenance do I have to do? We just got a notice that one of the cooling systems needs a checkup. The old engineer used to do those all the time, so Persephone's got a good protocol. Sure. But to be honest, you're faster with the engine stuff than he was. Cuter, too. Uh, thanks? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not trying to be creepy, but, you know. What? <laughs> this is so awkward. Just, you've been on the ship for a month and I like you. I know how lonely it can get here, so if you're feeling especially lonely, I can help you out. In bed? Sex? Don't make me go into more detail. Unless you're into that? <laughs>